scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 32 through 45. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 722 in a worship Bible. If you can, please stand for God's word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those are who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Word of God. A few weeks ago was my privilege to give a message to India, which will then be broadcast next Sunday evening uh, on Indian radio or Indian television. Um, and I told you all about it, um, and I said I'd be preaching for five minutes, and you all laughed. Five minutes. Well, today I have 15. So we'll see how it goes, uh, And uh, uh, but uh, I, I don't know any more details about that India thing just yet, but hopefully someday. And Allie and her group sang a song, too, as well in that deal, and uh, it runs every year at Easter, and as an evangelist from India, uh, asked if we would do a, like a five-minute message about the meaning of Easter. I'm so excited to be able next Sunday morning to be able to talk to us about the meaning of Easter and to know that uh, uh, Allie and I together are going to be able to 
be part of a broadcast that will tell a lot more people about the meaning of Easter, many of them who really don't know the meaning of Easter. We've been walking with Jesus to the cross in the last three weeks. We started in Mark chapter 8. We were last week in Mark chapter 9. This week we're in Mark chapter 10. And again, I'd like to challenge you tomorrow to read Mark chapter 11. Tuesday, Mark 12. Wednesday, Mark 13. Thursday, Mark 14. And Friday, Mark 15. And each day I'll send you a note through email that will encourage you. I want to invite you to walk with us to the cross of Jesus. And so we're walking with Jesus toward that cross. And we're seeing in these, eight, in these three chapters, which are the, uh, the, the, the final phase of Mark's story before Palm Sunday. Final phase before Holy Week. Final phase of what Jesus tried to talk to his disciples. In the first seven or so chapters, the beginning of the eighth chapter, they're trying to discover who Jesus is. And so they discover that he is the king, the promised king of Israel, the Messiah, the one that they looked for. And as soon as they begin to discover that, which they first discover in Mark chapter 8, where the glorious declaration by Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right after that, Jesus now then is explained to them what kind of king he's going to be. What kind of kingdom it is that he is establishing. And they are flabbergasted and cannot understand or fathom what kind of king he is. Because it's nothing like what they expected. Because he says to them, I'm a king who is going to suffer and die. And so Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and now for the third time in Mark chapter 10, we're looking at three separate incidences which Mark carefully prepares for us, where Jesus explains to his disciples before he goes to die, that he's going to die and be raised from the dead. And every single time, they do not get it. At the first time in Mark chapter 8, when, when Peter heard Jesus say it, he said, Never, Lord. He says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Not, not so, Lord. Afterwards, Jesus then rebuked Peter. Peter. No, he didn't say Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. His kingdom is an altogether different kind of kingdom. They didn't get it then, and we often don't get it now. It's a different kind of king, kingdom altogether. So in the ninth chapter, the same thing comes up again. He talks about them, and then, and then, and then it says, and they were arguing about who was the greatest. You imagine that. They're arguing with one another about who was, this is immediately subsequent to Jesus saying he's going to suffer and die. And they're arguing about which of them is the greatest. And what does Jesus do But he calls a little child to them? He says, unless you become like little children, you have no part in my kingdom. Yeah, it's a very different kingdom than what you're expecting. That was in the ninth chapter. And now we have uh, this incident which Bud just read for you, where once more uh, Jesus is making his final way towards Jerusalem he stops to tell them what's going to happen to him, and they once again say, Sir, or Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Did you catch that? What is the audacity of going to Jesus and say, We want you to do for us whatever we ask, and yet if we're very honest, that's our attitude often too. You know how you know you did it? Because you get mad when you don't get what you wanted. You prayed for that job and it didn't come through. 
You prayed for that answer to prayer, and it didn't happen. He didn't do for you whatever you asked. You know? So they were coming in, and Jesus uh, is having to explain to them one more time, more patient than you and I could have, about the fact that he is going to suffer and die, and not only will he suffer and die, but that his kingdom is made up of altogether different matter than the kind of kingdoms they're expecting. And so let's quickly take a look at these ideas as we take a look at Jesus explains his future, number one, and we see something about Jesus' friends, and thirdly, something about Jesus' kingdom, and fourthly, something about Jesus' death, all within ten minutes. Okay? Can you do that? We'll try. Put your seatbelts on. He explains, first of all, his, his, uh, uh, his, his future. He says to them, as Bud said, no, pick it up, this story. It's just so beautiful the way uh, this is written for us. It says in the 32nd verse, And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Now, if you read really carefully, you have to say, what's going on there? He's just walking to Jerusalem. He's walking faster than them. But something about his gait, something about his demeanor, something about what's going on is making them amazed. They're kind of, and some others are even afraid. What's going on as he, he's walked to Jerusalem before? Well, actually in the Gospel of Mark, this is his first visit to Jerusalem, but we know he went there at least two other times before in the Gospel of John. But in any case, he's walking towards Jerusalem, and here's the way I see it. I think he's got his death on his mind. He's got his mission on his mind. He knows he's going to his own earthly demise. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows it's going to be bad. He knows the crowd is going to turn against him. He knows he's going to die. And so it's on his brain, and he's walking, and he's just going, and he's, just in, he's, he's in his own. And the disciples see him. Why? Because this was as hard for Jesus to do as it would be for any of us. He walked straight into the lion's den, straight into the jaws of death, straight into suffering. He was doing that. And so, uh, so he apparently realizes what's going on. It says he gathered the twelve and he began to tell them. And again, this is the third time in this gospel he's doing it. What was going to happen to him? See, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Yeah, the resurrection won't happen until tremendous suffering occurs. Jesus, we see, has a future of suffering. Jesus' future is going to be one of incredible suffering. He will be delivered. He will be condemned. He will be killed. He will suffer. And after then three days, he will rise. What's going on here? Well, Mark, as he's telling this story, has letting us, been letting us know that Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God. He bursts on the scene in the first chapter, in the 15th verse, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled, he said. What time? This time of waiting for the long, long-awaited Messiah, the coming of the kingdom of God, when God would come and conquer the oppressors against Israel and set them free. They thought their oppressors were Rome. Jesus knew their oppressors were sin and evil and death itself. That was the real culprit. That was the true enemy he was going for. They didn't know that. But the time had been fulfilled. A little bit like happened to me on Saturday before Easter 34 years ago on April 20th when my wife woke me up at 2 in the morning she said the time is fulfilled the baby is at hand that's what happened and so we had a baby at 
12.30 on Easter, Saturday before Easter. That's what that means. The time is filled. All this long-awaited story. This long story. I had another two minutes. I could tell it, but I don't have time. This long story of God's rest, uh, God's beautiful, broken, and rescue creation where Jesus is going to fulfill God's plan. This wonderful, epic drama. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is in hand. God's rule, God's reign. God reestablishing himself in charge of this universe. That's at hand. Repent, he says. And let us turn around. Let go of all of your preconceived notions and believe the gospel, the good news. This is good news. It's, and in fact, the word gospel was a word used when uh, the, uh, the, the emperor would send a herald who would show up. They didn't have internet back then, believe it or not. No, no newspapers, no radio, no television. How did you get, what was mass media? It were these heralds that would go, and they stand in the corner, and they'd beat the drum, and they'd read, bum, ba, da, ba, 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 or whatever they would do, and they would say, they would announce there's a new king in Rome. And they'd all go clap like they're really excited about it, right? But they, that, that, that's the good news. Evangelion, the gospel, the good news. Good news, Jesus comes and says, time is filled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Let go of your preconceived notions. And that's what we're being called to do in this story. When Jesus finally says to his disciples, I'm coming, I'm a king, and I'm going to die. Repent and believe the good. In other words, let go of your worldly ideas about what the kingdom is supposed to be like. Let go of your notions about power of what the kingdom is supposed to be like. And listen to what I'm saying. Believe this good news. Yes, there's a new king at hand. And so he walks around uh, Galilee, and everywhere he goes, sickness is healed. Everywhere he goes, uh, uh, demons are cast out. Everywhere he goes, impurities are cleansed. Everywhere he goes, outcasts are welcome. Read the first and second and third chapter of Mark. That's all over there. Levi, the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the wayward Jewish disciple, a Jewish man who would become a tax collector for the Roman government, he's welcomed in. He has a party. Why? Wherever Jesus goes, sickness flees, demons flee, outcasts are brought in, the circle gets brought. This is the kind of kingdom he's bringing. Yes, everywhere. Now they realize who he is. Now that they realize it, he says that this king, the one with power over sickness and nature, the one who feeds thousands with bread and fish, the one who commands the demons to flee, this king with that kind of power is going to die. What? That makes no sense. That's Jesus' future. Now then we learn about Jesus' friends in the next section. And so they say to them, in the words that I already uh, mentioned to you beforehand, they said, James, it says, James and John, sons of Zebedee, um, came to him and said to him, I think we uh, want to read there, James and John, sons of Zebedee, seeing their opportunity, <laughs> came to them. Jesus is always speaking in parables. He's not really going to suffer and die. He's not, that's not going to really happen, but the kingdom's coming, so we've got our, something on our mind. I believe what they're trying to do is to jump ahead of Peter and Andrew. They're trying to say, we're going to be first. And so they say to them, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And they say, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory? And Jesus understands again and again. These disciples have no clue. Jesus' friends are characterized by self-interest, by selfishness. They're seeing Jesus and his kingdom as a means toward their own ends. They can have a place of glory in his kingdom. 
their hearts are broken by self-centered. In fact, uh, one of the words that uh, was used for sin is uh, uh, desire turned inward. All your desire turned inward, all turned in on itself. And that's all James and Jonathan think about. This is our opportunity. We've, we've sacrificed, we've walked with him. We've, one of us was up on the mountain with him there, and uh, uh, we were up there in the mountain. He's obviously got us, but we gotta get Peter out of the picture, James and John, let's go together, right? So we'll be first, we'll ask him to be first. Self-centeredness, that's the root of the world's problem, is self-centeredness. That's why Jesus needed to die. He needed to die at the hand of self-centeredness, Expressing all the evils of this world, self-centeredness. I want my thing at the hands of all of that, whether it was Roman power or, or the religious leaders or all the people who were looking for Jesus to give them one more free meal, all that stuff, or even the disciples who thought Jesus was a means of their own uh, of their own advancement, all that self-centeredness. Jesus died at the at the at the at, at the hand of all of that. That's why he died. At the underside, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve saw the fruit, they saw that it was good and pleasing, desirable to make one wise, and they decided that God could not be trusted. So they took of the fruit. They ate it. Their eyes were opened. They saw they were naked. They covered themselves. They hid from God, and they've been doing it ever since. Self-centeredness. Jesus died at the hands of self Selfishness, and so he begins to talk to these guys in the words. In time, I can't uh, really talk about the fact that they too, he knew they would at some point um, uh, understand his kingdom, but at that point they didn't. And so we see in the third section of this story, Jesus's kingdom. He wants. He says he calls them all together. He brings them all. All right, guys, let's talk one more time. Let's go over. Let's go over this together. And he says to them. You know, in the Maya king, uh, and he says, um, Jesus, verse 42, they called him then to him and they said to him, you know, this is really important words here, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. Jesus said, I am coming to proclaim a kingdom of servanthood. It's a coming where the great, the greatest are the ones who serve, are the ones who serve the most. They don't have others serve them. They serve others. Everything's turned around. All the values of this culture are turned around. And every time we could look at this whole 10th chapter, where we see what Jesus is really, oh, there's a whole, another whole sermon in here, but it's not for another, is, is that Jesus is really hitting the main three things that seem to characterize our society. Our preoccupation with sex and money and power. Those three things. This, our sexual selves, our financial selves, our powerful selves, and how these are the ways we affirm our identity, we find our pleasure, we, 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 we make sure that we have what's coming to us, and the world is, revolves around these things. And so he says to his disciples who want to ask him how many ways they can break up a marriage, he says, no, not, not, that was not God's plan. You're married once for your life, and that's it. Read it, John, Mark chapter 10. It's there. Yeah. We want to skip it over. But there it is. Jesus had an idea. No. 
No. And then he sees this wealthy, rich, young ruler who wants to follow him but doesn't want to give up all to follow him. He says, well, go sell. He quoted the Ten Commandments to him, but he tended to leave out the one, do not covet. So he said, one thing you will lack, go sell and follow me. And it says the man went away sad. And Jesus said, how hard it is to get in my kingdom. And the disciples were amazed. Why? Because their world assumed that the money was a sign of God's blessing. And, uh, and if you had money, that would be wrong. You're on, you're, that's something you really wanted on your side, right? Jesus turns the values of, now it's not that money is bad, not that sex is bad, not that power is bad, but all of them need to be used to serve others, not to be served by others. You see the difference? That's what he's trying to do. They're all meant to be used as self-giving, self-giving. So sexuality is not about what I can get, which is the way our world operates and the way you know our inner selves kind of like to think about it, right? But rather, it's what I can give, it's self-donation. And what, uh, not self-satisfaction, uh, okay? So Jesus has got a kingdom all the way upside down and this whole idea of power, that's what's going on here. When Jesus is going to the cross and the guys are looking for their opportunity to seize power, to seize power over it. Yeah, Jesus, no, 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 you don't get it. My kingdom's not about getting for yourself, it's about giving for others. That's what's wrong at the root of this world. That's why Jesus was going to die. And so then finally we learn something about Jesus' death in the last words of this, where it says, For even the Son of Man came to be served and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Give his life as a ransom for many. And here we get this clue into what was going on when we got hung up on that tree. Jesus said, I am going to give my life to buy the freedom of all who are enslaved, all who are in prison. That's what the word latrone means, ransom. It means to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. Who was the prisoner? Who was the prisoner? All of humanity was imprisoned by its own self-centeredness. Even creation itself was imprisoned by all of this. Jesus came to die for all of it. What was the prison? It was a prison of, e of sin and evil and death, this self-centeredness. So sickness, remember I said earlier, Jesus went around healing sicknesses? Well, what did Jesus ultimately do? But he took our sickness, our sin disease on himself so that we could be healed of our sin by his death under the weight of it. Remember, I went around saying that Jesus went out and welcomed outcasts, brought, made the circle big enough for everyone. Well, what happened to Jesus? But Jesus himself became outcast, crucified outside the camp, among the criminals and the thieves. He welcomed the outcasts in such a profound way. He was outcast, so you and I could be welcomed. Remember I said how Jesus went out and banished demons, they flew? Well, this was representative of the evil powers at the root of this whole problem. And so wherever Jesus showed up, he destroyed the power of evil. Ultimately, by diffusing it, not through more power against it, but rather dying under its weight. He died under the weight of the world's evil and thereby diffused itself its power, exhausted its power so that he that raised it from the dead to bring about new creation, a kingdom which was more like what God had in mind when he first created this world. Yes, that was the prison. He set us free from all those things. And what was the ransom? Jesus' life. He gave his life for us. That's what he died for. He died so that we could live. He became outcasted so we could be welcomed. 
He took our sin and sickness so that we could be set free. He, he suffered under the weight of all the evil that could be cast against them so that we would be able to be part of his new kingdom. Now that's why Jesus died. That's what it meant. Lord Jesus, we're so very, very thankful that your kingdom is one which welcomed the outcast, which died for our sins. We want to be cognizant today that though you provided us grace and forgiveness, it came at great cost. And in fact, it was our sin that put you on that cross. In Jesus' name.